we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. Yes, episode 231. It is the 3rd of December, 2019. We nearly talked up another... 12 months. Mm. 2019's nearly finished. It is. Yeah. It feels like a long time since the three of us sat together because last week I was away. The week before, Scott, I was you away. were away. Yeah. So it feels like a little bit of a mini reunion for us. It is a little bit of a mini reunion. Happy reunion, guys. <laughs> I, of course, am Trevor the Iron Cheers, Fist. everyone. Uh, with me, I normally say with me as always, <laughs> Scott the Velvet Glove. But he's not always with you. <laughs> no. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. <laughs> g'day, Scott. G'day, Trevor. G'day, everyone out there in podcast land. Mm. So it feels good. To be back together, Indeed. and it is, yeah. uh, and we'll catch up on the on the events of of what's been happening. So, Good. oh, what's on the agenda? It's a strange one this episode. I think I'm uh, not sure where we'll end up as usual, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> so, Angus Taylor. Yeah, let's talk about Angus Taylor. <laughs> Good old Angus Taylor. <laughs> so, Rhodes Scholar. He's a I think Rhodes he was, Scholar. He? So he's but not a is not he really not a stupid guy. No, wow. he's not a stupid guy, but he is a klutz of a minister, isn't he? bit clumsy. Yeah, a bit clumsy. Bloody hell. He's bitten <laughs> off more travel insurance than he can eat. Ah. So what's Can he you? done, dear listener? He, uh, he accused the Sydney City Council of spending lots of money on overseas and interstate visits. Ah, this oh. was in response to the Sydney City Council declaring a climate emergency and mm. writing to the Environment oh. Minister asking them to do the same. Mm. And he wrote back and he says, well, if you've got a problem with climate change, you shouldn't be flying so much. I mm. apologise. Ah. No worries. So he accused them of spending uh, $15.9 million on travel uh, when the real figure was less than 6000 And he Are they all travelling by bicycle? Well, it's... 6000 seems very low, doesn't it? It's, it's a, only... That was domestic travel and overseas. The overseas expenditure was 1700 bucks. Mm. That's all? That's all. So fine. that would yeah. be. They don't get around much, do they? No, those guys don't get around much anymore. <laughs> well, they wouldn't be flying business class at that sort of price. They might have. That might have been one. I wouldn't be on a Greyhound bus very often with that sort of no, price. But this is the whole point. <laughs> you know, clearly not the whole council is travelling. It must just be Clover Moore going abroad once a year or something like that. In any event, he um, he said that he got information from the council's website. <laughs> yeah. And then he distributed that to a newspaper and said, look what these guys are doing. But what he distributed and what was on the website were two different things. Mm. So the website had the low figure of less than 6,000 and he provided what looks like some sort of doctored copy document of that, a really weird thing mm. where it looks like somebody has mm. fraudulently changed the figures and – sent this off and he sort of stuck to his guns for a while but was then forced to admit that it was a mistake. But now, of course, the question is, well, how did that mistake happen? That's a huge blunder on his Who part. Who is responsible for it this? It sounds like someone was trying to set him up, doesn't it? It does almost, doesn't it? Don't like you as if somebody in his own office doctored some documents and said, here, it's take a hit with this if you're silly enough to use it. Yeah. It does almost seem that way. And he ran with it without even checking it. This is the whole well, point. If you trust people and you're busy. This is mm. why the backbench is really angry at 
ScoMo for not sacking him because mm. he is accident prone. He has cocked up on a number of occasions and this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm. You know, it, it's just $16 million. I mean, there are how many members of the city council? I don't know. At most, 16. Did he honestly believe that they spent $1 million a head on travel? Well, a few of our pollies do get it. Get their, their travel bills up yeah, there. but not that much. Yeah. Don't you think? I think yeah. if you looked at the federal government's uh, ministerial travel bill, it would be many, many millions. Absolutely. If he stopped and thought about it, he should have thought this just doesn't it didn't, make sense. It doesn't smell right. Yeah. yeah. But it's hard to imagine that he would have doctored a document knowingly no. because – it's obvious it's going to be found, found out. out. It's no, obvious. He wouldn't have done it. I think someone yeah. set him up, frankly. Yeah. So, so you reckon Christian Porter planted someone in his office, do you? I, I wouldn't like to name names. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Either. It's, a very, it's a very strange situation. But anyway, has he been sacked? No. No. And this brings to mind, Scott, in years gone by, the most minor of transgressions mm. was enough for a minister to fall on his own sword. Exactly. Or at least stand down while an inquiry was conducted. You know, I was listening to this podcast again yesterday and it was um, it was an ABC podcast. I can't remember which one it was. But they were saying that um, there had been a number of, they went through them and there were a number of ministers who fell on their sword. Mm. And, you know, for the most minor mm. of offences, and one of them was um, a guy had to fall on his sword because his wife brought back a Paddington bear. That was Mick Young. Mick Young, yeah. yeah. So he, And they Paddington didn't pay the duty. These are the days we had to declare a lot of stuff for when you're coming into the country. Yeah. So his wife had a, a stuffed, oversized Paddington bear. Yeah. And then there was another minister who declared in. a television, but he declared yeah, it as a black, black and white. white television rather than a colour mm. television, and the duty was, duty was much higher on a colour yeah. television that... Well, it was and, only and a three or four. It was four dollars or something mm. like that, and he had to resign. But you know? these these were matters of honesty. It Absolutely, was, it was you've signed a form that says something, and that wasn't true. And honesty meant something, it some sort do. of integrity. Mm. And you know what's happened here with this guy is a lot worse. <laughs> Even and, and the whole thing about being a minister is you. You can't just say, oh, it was somebody else in my department because you have to accept responsibility sure, to some extent of what goes on in your department, particularly mm. when you're the one who's adopted it and run with it. So, um, And encourage newspapers to run with it yeah. as well. So he was clearly trying to defame Clover Moore and the Sydney City Council. Yeah, absolutely he was. That was the whole point. This the state of the world we're in at the moment is this is the sort of Trumpian development of politics mm -hmm. where you can just... Stick it out. You can just be ballsy. Just make it up. And say, yeah, not going to do anything. Make me. You can't. When you're, some but of these look, systems rely on gentlemanly conduct, yeah. which doesn't exist with the current supply. Like but you don't think ScoMo is exhibiting a great depth of loyalty to his uh, colleagues? Uh, he is. But what about loyalty to the Australian, Australian public? public. And, oh, and, and we the, just elected him. And to the system. You know, that's. Enter the system, yeah. yeah. I tell you, but this is the problem we're in at the moment is that people can do, now that's not the most outrageous conduct, but you can say the most outrageous things and get away with anything mm. now because the news cycle can't nail people anymore. It used to be mm. that 
say with those ministers or whatever, every newspaper front page would be onto them mm. and there'd be a consensus of media, mm. uh, all the commercial news and the ABC, the newspapers, the radio, everyone would go for them. But now you've got such a polarised media that... And the sheer volume of the um, information. I think true, everybody true. is under a tsunami of information every yep. day now. Yep. It's just information overload and pe I don't think people have time to process it all uh, in, in a way that would make them sit back and think, yeah, you know, this should have done and should yep. have been done. That's true. But what I was going to say is like the Murdoch press can just ignore it and, mm. and tuck it away at the bottom of page seven if they really want mm. to. But And you've then got the television stations the same, can ignore it if they want to. And you can even have things like Sky News run a completely counter-argument and say, oh, nothing to see here. Mm. So it's harder to nail these people because the media is so polarised and mm. isn't, isn't collectively acting the way it would have back in the eighties. Days gone by, yeah, yeah. So, it makes it tougher to hold people accountable. And maybe is there a? Do you think a greater degree of apathy in the general public about things? Do you think Probably. they're so kind of uh, cynical about politics in general that they just think, oh yeah, it's just another one, you know? Probably J just another scandal. Yes. What can I do about it? Yes. You know, sense of yeah, exactly, yeah. So. So that's sort of the most interesting part of, of uh, the Angus tale a bit. Um, did you know that there is uh, – so, of course, Morrison rings up his police mate and says, uh, just tell me about the investigation you've got running here. <laughs> What's it look, how's it looking? And I can't, you can't do that. This, this is, this is, the Labor Party didn't jump on that very quickly, did they? It took them a full 24 hours before yep. Patricia Carvellis asked – can't remember what the name was – the shadow treasurer, is it? Anyway, she was talking to him. The guy from Queensland. Yeah, I think it was him. Anyway, she was talking to someone and she said to him, she says, well, do you really think it's appropriate that Scott Morrison would pick up the phone? And he says, well, I don't know. It's never happened before. We have to mm. think about that. Mm. And they went away and thought about it and they went, and they went after him in, in, in Parliament. But it's a know, slow reaction. It is a very yeah. slow reaction because he flagged it. He says, I'm going to ring the New South Wales Police Commissioner. I'll find out what's going on. Mm. Yeah. Now, here's this funny bit. Is that the New South Wales Police Commissioner didn't have ScoMo's current mobile number in his phone, so he just ignored the first couple of calls. <laughs> 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 That's interesting. Well, they were former neighbours. They were former neighbours. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, so oh. I'm, I'm a little bit Suspicious. sympathetic to ScoMo in the sense of he used to be his neighbour mm. and he would have talked to him lots. So mm. it would have been really tempting to just say, I'll ring up my mate because he was my neighbour. And he's, but, but as, having as, said the, that, as the, you know, as the prime, prime minister, minister of the country, you, you should have respect that. for the doctrine of the separation of powers and not Surely. interfere mm. or be seen to be interfering. Exactly. Yeah, and that is yes. what it's precisely what Malcolm Turnbull yes. said. He says it's, he says it it's was, a bad look. It yeah. was, what did he say? He says it was probably an innocuous phone call, but it's yeah. not a call I would have made. Yeah. That's right. And it's this, it's a lack of education as well. It shows, these things. It shows a lack of judgment, doesn't mm. it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, you know, if there was a major criminal case on, you wouldn't comment in the news about it. You, no. you stay out of it. So, yeah. anyway, so that was that. But, uh, so they've got an investigation, and the, the name of their investigation is called Strike Force Garrod. Have you heard about that? 
Garrett. Garrett. Where does that come yeah, from? Garrett. Well, I couldn't tell you what apparently the they is. use a computer-generated random name system. When really? Yes. So, like with cyclones or something like yeah, that. Well, cyclones <laughs> are actual names of people. People. Whereas, oh, they, Garrett is a completely made-up name, is it? Apparently, it, they've got some random generator. So, previous um, investigations, for example. Uh, strike force emblems, which responded to accusations of improperly obtained warrants. Strike force raptor, which targeted motorcycle gang activity. Oh, well, that one sounds nice and aggressive. Mm. Strike force parabell, which investigated deaths that were suspected or confirmed to involve gay hate crimes. I don't think parabell is a word such. Parabell. So, um, yeah. So it's it's, it's computer generated. Um, using common names, places, or related events in history. Anyway, this one came up with Garrod. And unfortunately, oh, by the way, dear listener, there's a, there's a permanent language warning on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so no kiddies should be listening because we will be swearing in a moment and at different points throughout the podcast. Yeah. So anyway, uh, if you go on to uh, Urban uh, Dictionary, right? was it Urban Dictionary? Uh, let me just see. Um, Urban Dictionary has yeah. a very interesting definition of Garrod. Yes, it does. It, it is uh, Garrod, the dumbest motherfucker in the whole land. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was de- a deliberate choice. Then. Maybe. So the, the police have had to deny <laughs> that they specifically chose it for that reason. So that's ironic. Yeah. Well, police have a sense of humour too, you know. Yeah. At least some of them. They do indeed, yeah. But, you know, the whole point is that the New South Wales Police Commissioner apparently said to Scomo, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing here. Hmm. So, nothing, nothing to see in terms nothing, of the investigation. investigation. That was really that yeah. was Scamo's report of what that was Scamo's report oh. back to Parliament. And that was, was that his justification for not standing him down? Exactly. I think yeah. so. Yeah. So oh. anyway, um, so that's uh, so that's Angus Taylor, and with all these things, it's the sort of cover up and the subsequent events that end up possibly causing more damage than the actual. Initial mm-hmm. thing, but we'll see. Um, I just want to slip in here. We've previously talked about Brendan O'Neill and Spite. Mm. And so he, of course, there's a UK election mm-hmm. uh, campaign on at the moment. There too, is. Uh, Boris Johnson and Corbyn. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think and maybe I saw this. Aside here, the mm. the gap has narrowed between the Tories and Labor. It's down to five percent point. So who front. was it? who's in front? Uh, the Tories still are right. Yeah, but it's down to only five percent now. Right, which means that the country is staring down the barrel of another hung parliament, mm. which is it's not going to not get, what they need. It's not. It's not going to get Brexit resolved. It will end up dragging on, and then anyway, we'll have to wait and see. Anyway. Do you think the Queen should take power, you know, and just <laughs> become an-, an autocrat? Put Andrew in charge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. he's certainly sullied the good name of the uh, monarchy, hasn't he? Yeah. Yes, he has. <laughs> well, this is the thing. You can get away with anything. Exactly. Like, and is, you know, okay. And I can't believe. The, the family will continue. The exactly. family business will continue. I cannot yeah. believe that he has n- that the cops haven't even opened a file on him. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think they're treading very carefully, the British police, aren't they? They're, they're, you know, showing due deference in a sense. Right. 
Okay. Didn't all that happen in the US anyway? It did happen in the US, but surely no, they should open. No, it didn't happen no. all in the US. No, there was, okay. a, there was this I young woman. That she came to the UK, didn't she? This young woman yeah. who is making claims, and she's not that young anymore, but she claims that when she was 17, 18, yep. that she uh, had sex with uh, Prince Andrew three times, she reckons. Right. And one of them, at least one of them, was in London. Right. In, uh, what was his name? Epstein. He, he had a... Uh, a okay. flash okay. Uh, so it could be up home to the UK in, in London and another one in Paris and, uh, of course, New York and Miami. Mm. Hello to everyone in the chat room. Uh, Will's just checked up Garrett and Urban Dictionary and says, yikes. So clearly that's what it says. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for fact-checking us, Will. Um, uh, thank you, Ross, and uh, anyone else who's in the chat room. Make yourselves known and, and let us know that you're there. So anyway, back to Brendan O'Neill. Mm. So he's writing about uh, this election and he said, well, the Corbynistas, as he describes them, uh, are already complaining about the press. And the line that O'Neill, Brendan O'Neill is taking is that the, that the Labor Party is complaining that, they've, that the right-wing press has hypnotised, brainwashed um, the, 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 unwashed the stupid masses. The stupid yes. masses. Yeah. And the low in, the low information people is what they refer to them as yeah, now, apparently. Yeah, and I mean that's really insulting, isn't it? Well, Just, well that's the they that's the Brendan O'Neill version of what the of what the Labor Party is complaining about. But what the Labor Party would say is, well, no, actually, we're complaining about the massive right wing media campaign against us that is just a flood of a fire hose of information that makes it very difficult for us. And really, Brendan O'Neill in the article is saying, oh, you're really saying that they're too stupid yeah. to work it out. Yeah. And the Labor is saying, well, no, it's this flood of right-wing of information. That, that, of course, if that's all you hear, that's what people are going to think. But we and, – and overcoming – an enormous amount of disinformation is extremely difficult. That's what they're saying. But they have the Guardian. The Guardian is yeah. a British publication. It's hardly right wing. Yeah, well, uh, well, it's very left wing, if you ask me. I can't you talk about the BBC the, too. I can't. The BBC is quite left wing as well. I can't talk days. about the UK situation specifically. It's mm. hard to know. But I do know in say Queensland with mm. the federal election, you know, the local newspaper, the Courier Mail, and every regional paper mm. in Queensland. Is on the conservative side of exactly the spectrum. Yeah, so there's a waiting there that, and yeah. uh, so I thought that was a bit disingenuous by uh, your friend Brendan O'Neill, and uh, <laughs> my friend uh, Brendan. That, that he refused to accept that that a massive campaign by cashed up right wing media is is the problem, and he was really. <laughs> I'd like to see an assessment, you know, a, a critical assessment of the overall media in the UK. I mean, is the right-wing media pro-Brexit? I'm not convinced they are. I don't think being pro or anti-Brexit yeah. is necessarily left or right. But yeah. this issue, I think, paints the Brennan O'Neill thing as left or right. Anyway, and I know you disagree yeah. and you've got your reasons yeah. and – Sort of what we try and do on this podcast, what I've been trying to do, is <laughs> is try to say you need to try and work out what the inherent leaning is yeah. of the publication that you're sure. reading and take that into account. Uh -huh. 
Like before you even read an article, it should be where is this from and who wrote it. Before we even start, yes, absolutely. <sighs> you see, I push back against that idea that we, right. you know, that we we look at the name of the publication, we say, oh well, that's right wing or that's left wing. Therefore, I will or I won't read it. No, 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 read it, but just have it in mind <sighs> when you're when you're. Reading it. Look, I know it's hard to do and probably impossible to do, but shouldn't mm. you approach every single article with an open mind, you know, open to mm. be persuaded by whatever point of view it gives? By all means, be open, but also be aware of the motivation that somebody might have who's writing it. It's, it's like we want to know whether our politicians are being paid by somebody. Did but, they get a bribe but, from somebody? But because that's well, that they motive. might be in some cases. But but you need to know somebody's underlying motivations yeah. and, and and think ah okay they're going to be inclined to take a particular view. But I you, will bear that in mind. Yeah, but you're not suggesting that every writer in the mainstream media has an agenda as such. They might be just doing their job as a journalist and trying to in, report in, factually what's going on. Indeed, but. For example, in The Australian, you would have Philip Adams write yes, a column. So, for what he's worth these days. Well, for what he's worth. Clearly a left-winger yeah. writing in The Australian magazine. Yeah. So clearly. But again, that's why you should look at where's it from, who's the writer, okay, got all that in mind. Maybe he's the token so, left-winger. Of course in, he is. In The Australian, is he? Of course he is. But you don't also think that there's, uh, well, you're going to hate this. So, Should I block my yeah. earphones? <laughs> yeah, I'll just turn down the volume on your, <laughs> on your earphones. So the, thing, the whole thing about Noam Chomsky, yeah. you still with me? Yeah. <laughs> with manufacturing consent uh -huh. was, was about the uh, – it doesn't have to be direct sort of you must write this way. Hmm. There's a thing where basically a, a newspaper will have a tone and a direction hmm. – and a left-wing journalist won't apply to the Australian to be a commentator because they know they're not going to get hired. Or if they do, they know if they want to be published. We're talking junior ones here. Mm -hmm. If they want to be published, they're going to have to write something in the tone that's going to be acceptable yeah. to people. And if they don't write that tone and they don't get published, then after a year or two they get sick of it and they move on. So yeah. it, you don't have to be actually told straight up, you must write this way, but there can be this. An underlying uh, sort of tone to the indeed, publication. Yeah. What do you think yeah. about the Sydney Morning Herald Age Group, now nine, but, you know, used to be Fairfax? Yeah. Do you think they're left, right or in between? Um, I think the Sydney Morning Herald will be slightly left, uh, but I don't know enough about the age. I don't see enough it's of basically that. It's so. a a parallel right. publication. S slightly left. Not as left as The Guardian. Uh, yeah, I agree with yeah. you. I agree with you. They yeah. do tend to be slightly left, yeah. like, you know, centre-left. Yeah. Anyway, on this score, uh, if you, you could look at somewhere like mediabiasedfactcheck.com. Yeah, but who runs that, you know? Indeed. Who does? I, and I think there's an inherent bias in that as well, in, uh, in all of those things. Yes. <laughs> and I have arguments online sometimes with people and they, you know, they mm. pop up a link to mediacheck.com or whatever it is and mm. I look at it and I think, well, 
Mediacheck.com has its own bias, mm-hmm. as they all do. Here's their description of spiked. Yeah. See what you think. I disagree already. <laughs> <laughs> Launched in 2001, Spiked is a British internet magazine focusing. Actually, didn't you say they were launched a very old? I, I thought you were saying they're older than 2001. I thought uh, you were no, saying I think that sounds about right. Okay. So, uh, British internet magazine focusing on politics, culture, and society from a libertarian viewpoint. See, that's that. their take. And Spike don't describe themselves as libertarian. No. But, exactly. But you would, surely. Not necessarily. Would you? I don't know. Scott, would I you? describe Spike as yeah. libertarian? Yeah. Possibly. Okay. okay. If, if, if you finish your description no. or not. Because I'll, I have a counter description. I'll just give a little bit more. Well, actually, you know, what did um, Brendan Neal described himself the other day? As, as a, a Marxist libertarian. libertarian. Yeah. But Marxist he, also, libertarian. he yeah. also said that was tongue in cheek. Right. Because he does come from a left-wing background. Yes. And uh, Spiked is actually the successor to a publication called Living Marxism. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who co-founded it with him was the editor of Living Marxism. And okay. he's, he's an old lefty. So when he said he's a Marxist libertarian, tongue-in-cheek, yeah. what was he saying? He was saying that he he was basically of the left, but he has sort of found the contemporary left to be wanting and so he's sort of struck out on, you know, mm. on his so own. So the Marxist bit was tongue-in-cheek? No, I think the libertarian part was tongue-in-cheek. Okay, all right. I'll go on. I mean, he's not a pure Marxist, obviously. He's, uh, he's you know, he fa- <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, he favours workers' rights but he also favours capitalism, the free market. Yeah, I don't think he wants to create a... Uh, you know, uh, a socialist utopia. No, no, I'm sure he doesn't. <laughs> so, um, Spike focuses on issues of freedom and state control, science and technology, culture, education and literature. According to their About page, Spike is the magazine that wants to change the world as well as report on it. We are committed to fighting for humanism, democracy and freedom. Exactly. Uh, Spike is owned by Spike Limited, a company owned by Frank Faridi and Jenny Bristow. Yep, Funding has come from the Charles Koch Foundation. And currently, revenue is generated through donations and on-site advertising. So yeah, I think I think all of that is a fair enough summary. Even if you just took that and went, okay, let's tell me a bit about. It. Well, Frank Faridi is a pretty leftist sociologist, right? You know? yep. I mean, he's by no means right wing, right? Um, people mm. uh, bring up the the fact that uh, the Koch brothers uh, do supply some funding to them, mm. but they also take funding, you know, from donations, online donations, mm. as do quite a lot of, of yeah. magazines these days, including the Guardian and mm. others. But look, here's, I, I just went on the internet and I found this on Wikipedia and this is another description. It says, mm. uh, as, as you mentioned, oh, what does it say? Uh, yeah, it, that came from a, uh, a publication called Living Marxism. Spiked focuses on issues of freedom and state control, science and technology, culture, education and literature. The magazine opposes all forms of censorship. The leftists these days are pro-censorship. They want to censor everybody who I, says anything they find offensive. I agree. So they're not left. Well... They're libertarian. Yes, but, for, you know, censorship when, when, was something when, that was imposed by every authoritarian yeah. regime in mm. history. Mm. And that's why they're not right-wing. They're opposed to this f- form of censorship, which, you know, which uh, limits, uh, you know, free speech and the free exchange of ideas. So they're, they're very much pro 
exchange, free exchange of ideas and free speech. Okay? Sounds like libertarian to me. It, well, maybe libertarian, but certainly not right wing. You couldn't accuse them of being right wing on that point. Uh, I, I would, I would say libertarian on that point, and that—that's their main focus. Is these libertarian freedom issues anti-identity? What's politics, wrong with freedom? Sort of Since when is freedom so, a right wing issue? Uh, it's. I mean, leftists examples, accuse right wing examples, right wing like, people of, of of being the great oppressors of the masses, right? Mm. And yet they're saying, no, we want freedom mm. for everybody. Mm. But on things like the example I gave before with the news media, yeah. where he's complete denial that that the the fire hose of right wing information from uh, from the news media is yeah. the problem, and he's saying it's. I think he needed to acknowledge that there is a problem with wealthy owners of okay. billionaire ownership of media so he's promoting sort of right-wing ideas. So he sort of averts his eyes, you're saying, yes. from the right-wing media. And, and yeah. maybe that's a fair point. Yeah. But anyway, it goes on to say uh, its writers call for a repeal of libel, hate speech and incitement laws yeah. and of censorship on university camp- campuses. Yeah. Uh, they have criticised laws targeted at pedophiles as counterproductive to rehabilitation and conducive to mob violence. I mean, that's a, a very sort of progressive stance to take. I, I, I take your point that the, the focus of, of Spiked is on libertarian issues that used to belong to the left wing, but the left has abandoned. Exactly, is, yes. Is probably what you So say. they're sort of traditional left, if you like. You know what I mean? Yeah, old school. Left. Old school left, exactly. Old, old school. Well, maybe. yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, mm. uh, Brendan O'Neill regularly sort of says people need to utilise technology to improve the life for everybody. Sure, you know? and who wouldn't say that? So he's yeah. a universalist, which yeah. is how I see myself. Mm. Okay. Anyway, my point of all this is is the media and how we need to know who they are and and what's going on in their heads when mm. they're reading it. So mm. part of all that is, with this UK election, just to finish off, you keep hearing these stories about how Corbyn and the Labor Party are anti-Semitic. You hear these stories? Yeah, yeah I've regularly. Heard stories. Have I, you ever heard I, I anything did. to back it up? Yes. Well, I've, I've heard okay. that he apparently breaks bread with Hamas, Hamas, and He's organizations good pals, like apparently that. with some of the people from Hamas. Right. Yeah. Now and I don't know whether or not that's true, but this is what I've heard. Apparently, no. Apparently, he hosted some. I don't know whether it was Hamas or Hezbollah, but one of those, uh, you know, anti-Israel. Um, Islamist groups. Yeah. Now he hosted them yeah, in the Parliament House. That's fine. Apparently, you according can be to the report, Israel, but not anti-Semitic. Yes. Could you be, you know, sympathetic to Palestinians and, and anti, anti the state of Israel? Well, sort there of was a, a mural. Yeah. There, there, another example is there was a mural somebody painted. Somebody probably an Islamist painted, and it was a caricature of the old. Sort of uh, Jew, you know, Jewish the old money lender sort of yeah, thing. the old hook nosed Jewish money lender, and uh, Corbyn apparently saw it and didn't say, "Well, that's disgracefully, you know, anti-Semitic." He sort of he didn't seem to think it was anything bad. Did he say anything positive about it? Or did he uh, say he didn't say anything? Well, wouldn't you think a a, a prominent 
political leader seeing something like that would say that's a very divisive and uh, racist and anti-Semitic. But, but was he put in front of the mural and said, here, comment on this? Yeah. Oh. He basically was shown it right. and uh, apparently didn't seem to think it was a big deal. So that's it? No, there have been a number of reports in the, well, in the, in the conservative media, if you like, or on Spiked, pointing out uh, not only Corbyn but other people in the Labor Party. And apparently some members of the Labor Party have resigned from the Labor Party. Some Jewish members of the Labor Party have resigned in protest at but, what they see as anti-Semitism. Okay, but if you were pro the State of Israel and you knew the Labor Party had the position which it does... You would resign for that reason. I don't know. I I, I can't speak for them because they're clearly against the state of Israel and they want you know Palestinians to be recognised, well, etc. So I think that, that's that an could assumption. be a reason it why it could be, but it's a bit of an assumption. Anyway, my, my my question to the dear listeners out there is: is what's the best piece of evidence of anti-Semitism by Corbyn? I'm just what's what's the most damning uh, piece of evidence you've seen? Because I just really don't come. I hear the allegation, but I don't actually hear the specifics and I'd like yeah. to hear a specific if, – if looking at a mural and not commentating yeah. is the best evidence – I'll see if I can dig it up for next week. It doesn't seem like much. And okay. It's such a serious allegation. You would think there'd be something more specific serious. that you could say about it. It just yeah. – it sounds odd to me that uh, – But look, you know, these days, um, you know, if you have members of the actual Labor Party resigning from the party who were Jewish people – you you would suspect something is amiss, wouldn't you? Not if not if the policy of the party is to basically abolish the state of Israel and recognise Palestinians. Well, I can easily right. imagine. People. Well, that's pretty extreme policy. Is that their well, policy? It's a very extreme. It's not their policy. Well, but it's, it's sorry. Their policy is to have Palestine as a separate nation, mm. and they have said that the they said that the occupied territories were a good start mm. for the boundaries around Palestine. Mm. But they also want the Israelis to give up some of their territory to the. But I, I think that's the policy for every party, though, no, isn't it? No, it's not the policy for the, for the, the Tories. Are you Tories? sure? Yeah. There'd be nothing like that. How do you know? Have you checked it? Well, tell me if I'm wrong. But well, maybe it's something we need to look into. Yeah, I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and say that the Tory policy is is not along those lines. I'd that, suggest that the Tory policy is probably closer to the Republican Party in the United States. Well, it might be, but I, I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. And the uh, Democrats are no friend of Palestine either. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay. So that could be a reason. Anyway, next. Can I just mention one yes. more thing about Spiked? Yeah. Uh, how's this for right wing? <laughs> Spike, Spiked opposed the post-9-11 invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, okay. So that's how good. is that right wing? No, that's good. That's quite left wing, isn't it? Is. It is. Okay. Uh, what does it say? Uh, in it, it seeks to counter what it sees as recent trend in Western foreign policy, which is humanitarian intervention, so-called. Frank Ferretti, who's a pretty leftist sociologist, interviewed in Spike, said that the stance of living Marxism and spiked springs from the tradition of the anti-Stalinist left. He argued that the reason why many in the left tradition have difficulties in identifying the, uh, these ideas with the left is that they completely misunderstand the humanist political position of being progressive in terms of human progress, science, rationality and freedom. And yet 
be completely anti-state. So it doesn't sound terribly right-wing from that, does it? Mm. To me, I mean, this one thing I like about Spiked is it... You like the libertarian aspect. I I suppose I do. They don't Mm. identify as hard left. They don't identify as right. Mm. They identify as rational, hypercritical centrists Mm. who will, you know, go for anyone's throat that they think is stepping, you know, on on somebody else's toes. Mm. And that's what I like about them. They like Mm. to shake things up and they like... They shake everybody's cage, and that's mm. what I like. Mm. Well, I didn't like that Brendan O'Neill totally discounted the the effect of of a, of a media barrage. Mm. And okay, so maybe he's mm. ignoring it, mm. um, perhaps we'll move deliberately. On. But yeah. um, what else? That's all right. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, there was a report. Okay, this one was from the Centre for Independent Studies. Mm-hmm. So who are they? What's wrong with that? (laughs) Exactly. So they commissioned uh, a poll by YouGov Galaxy and they polled a 1,000 people. So, um, and and this was in relation to uh, the Religious Discrimination Act Mm -hmm. and a lot of the sort of results of it are kind of favourable to our line of thinking. And and so you should should ask, well, who is the Centre for Independent Studies Mm -hmm. and... According to Wikipedia, the Centre for Independent Studies is an Australian libertarian think tank founded in 1976 which specialises in public policy research based in Sydney, focuses on classic liberal issues such as free markets and limited government. Mm. So this is the thing actually for uh, the secular side of politics, Scott, I think in this battle over the Religious Discrimination Act is that the libertarian side of the right wing would be against the kinds of restrictions that are in the Religious Discrimination Act. I think libertarians won't Absolutely. like it. And they don't like it Not at enough all. attention is paid, I think, to try and beef up that a significant part of the yes. conservatives who are libertarians mm. really object to some of the special treatment that's yeah. in the Religious Discrimination Act. I think really there is a mm. spectrum of conservatives mm. as well. You know, people... Mm sometimes tend to typecast conservatives as all being of a particular mind set mm. on everything, you know, and they're not, mm. you know. And the same with libertarians. Maybe that's why I, I'm not totally opposed to the idea of libertarianism because some mm. of them are quite sensible, rational people. Indeed. So anyway, uh, the last census, 30% of the population said no religion. Mm-hmm. Now, um, they asked... A thousand people, which is apparently statistically legitimate, yeah, mm. a valid number, yeah, to poll. Yeah. Mm. Do you agree or disagree with the following statement? Respecting religious traditions and beliefs should be imp- an important part of a multicultural society. Basically, seventy-eight percent of people agreed with that. Mm. So, fair enough. Come up to the next one. Which is closer to your view? Please select one option only. Um, regarding expressing religious perspectives in public debates. There should be some restrictions on expressing religious perspectives in public debates that others find offensive. 39% of people said restrict religious expression if others find it offensive, 39%. If others find it offensive. They also said... uh, to this one, all Australians should be free to express a religious perspective alongside other views when participating in public debates, even when others find that view offensive. 
54% of Australians agreed with that. So the majority of Australians were willing to have religious views expressed that would be offensive. Suck mm. it up. Yeah. Uh, but then there's a confusing one when it comes to ridicule. Mm. So freedom to ridicule religious beliefs. Asked, uh, which one do you agree with? Uh, first option, there should be restrictions on the right to ridicule the religious views of others. 56%. Really? Hell. Yes. That seems to be a contradiction with the previous it does. one. It does, yeah. It, absolutely. I agree. And then Australians should be free to ridicule the religious views of others. 33%. Well, only 33. So that's a concern that 56% mm. say that there should be a restriction on your right to ridicule the religious views of others. And that this podcast would, will be closing down yeah. if these people are in charge. <laughs> well, it would give encouragement to ScoMo with this religious discrimination bill, wouldn't it? It would give him fuel for thinking people do want restrictions on criticism of religion. Yes. Yeah. Which is a worry. Yeah. So, and obviously this libertarian think tank is doing this to try and see if there's some public groundswell. But you're not suggesting they support a restriction of no, free speech. They, In they fact, they'd be, be against it. Exactly. Yeah. That's my point. These yeah. sort of libertarian guys are actually friends of our position. Thank even you. Even if they're in the <laughs> conservative side. Mm. Yes. Mm. So that's a bit of a worry. 56% said there should be restrictions on the right to ridicule the religious views of others. <sighs> Honestly. <sighs> Okay. Um, we get down to the nitty-gritty of it all. So then we've also got, I'm going to put this on the, um, on the video live stream as well, is religious discrimination in employment, which is closer to your own view. No organisation should be allowed to refuse to employ someone on religious grounds, 64%. Mm. Or... Faith-based organisations such as schools and welfare organisations should be allowed to refuse to employ someone who does not share their religious viewpoint, 30%. So at least 64% of Australians are saying you should not be able to discriminate in employment. Mm. That's positive because yeah. that's the one I've been on about mm. in this religious discrimination bill. Indeed. And that's something that Christian Porter should look at. And But, but he's going to expand it. I know. So the bill did not include nursing homes and hospitals. Now it's going to. And he has flagged that he's now going to include it after discussions with stakeholders. Yeah, and they were all religious stakeholders too. Mm. You know, you've seen that thing that I've shared with the National Secular Lobby saying they were cut out of the whole bloody thing. Mm. You know, it's... <sighs> and the aged care industry is, in such, is such a shambles at the moment, isn't it? Do you think they're going to improve things if they, you know, start restricting who they can employ like that? What scares the bejesus out of me is being told when I'm 94 mm. that you can't come into this home because you're gay. Mm. Yeah. Or that you can't come into this home together with your partner Correct. because exactly. you're gay. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So they might be prepared if Brian and I are prepared to separate, but, mm. you know, that's the way it's shaping up. It is, yeah. Mm. Um, Make sure you're rich enough to employ your own servants. Well, in that's your, what in I'm going to have to do, in yeah. In your mansion. Yeah. <laughs> the other question they asked is um, on perceived divisiveness of religion. 
religion unites Australians at least as much as it divides us. Really? 33%. <laughs> religion divides Australians more than it unites us, 52%. 52%. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So that's something at least. I, I would say historically it when the country was predominantly Christian, self-identified Christian, it probably was a kind of unifying force, except for the well, the Protestants versus the, the Catholics. Catholics. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was but that fierce. was but that was just a, a clear divide into two groups. Now it's div- divided into a whole lot more groups, isn't yes. it? So but I think it was, it's more divisive than it used to be, in a sense, because we we sort of got over the Catholic Prodi divide, and then we created some more divisions, some yes. new new divisions, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So that was that. That was that poll. Um, ScoMo is going to delay the bill, of course, because he's taken a hit in Parliament and they're redrafting it. So we'll see what happens sometime next year. We'll be whatever he's doing, I don't trust the guy. Do no, you? I don't trust right. him either. Mm. Let's uh, just hope Labor grows the spine. Well, well, here's his problem: was that that the religious groups said this bill isn't good enough. Because it doesn't go far enough. Yes, and that's precisely the point, isn't it? Yeah. That they've rejected it because it doesn't give them what they want. Yes. So they've (laughs) sent it back and said, ScoMo, not good enough. Beef it up. Yes. But this is the whole point now. I heard this on a podcast. God, I wish I could remember what podcast I was listening to. And there was some woman who was saying that um, the government's heart's really not in this. And this is even apparently true as far as ScoMo go. His heart's not in it. Really? Yeah, apparently so. Now, what they're saying is that the suggestion is that they are beefing it up so that they're going to force Labor to oppose it, and then it'll get beat. It'll get beaten down in the Senate, and then they'll have to say, "Well, we tried. We can't get it done. We're walking away really? from it." Yeah, <sighs> I find that hard to. I find that hard swallow. to believe. I'm sure ScoMo wants this. Yeah, ScoMo's heart is in it. I, I'm not sure Christian Porter's heart is in it, no, but Porter's ScoMo's heart's, heart's in definitely in it. Mm. Anyway, the groups that wrote to the Prime Minister saying it would be better to have yes, no yeah. Religious Discrimination Act rather than a flawed one in- includes the Catholic Archdiocese of Sydney, the Anglican Diocese of Sydney, the Executive Council of Australian Jewry, the Australian National Imams Council and the Greek Orthodox Church saying that the bill in its current form will diminish the religious freedom of faith groups in Australia. You've got to hand it to them. They're, they're on our side. <laughs> they are incredible, aren't they? How they can say that they can they can say that with a straight face. What, what did they say again? They said it's going to diminish, diminish the, the religious, religious freedom. freedom. My goodness. What a load of shit. It really mm. is, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um also I got a uh a listener, Glenn, sent me um an a copy of an IT job that was advertised on Seek. And this was um, Director of IT and Systems Integration and looks just like a high-level IT job. And uh, let me just see if I can expand this window so I can actually read it a bit more. Hold on a sec. Um, In any event, what you had to do at the the bottom of the uh, application, it said, we need the name of your local parish priest and a reference from him. Yes. For an IT job in this religious organisation. So Sydney Catholic Schools, the IT person, um, 
listed all of these IT qualifications that you needed to have. To be a but Catholic. number one was, you know, entrenched in the Catholic faith. And mm. at the bottom it said, uh, uh, let me just see here. Applicants will need to include parish priest contact details in order to be considered for shortlisting. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> sake. Bloody hell. That is just blatant discrimination. It is, yeah. yeah. Based on a person's, you know, religious identity. Yeah. And they get away with that. Yes. There we go. Does that not violate con- current uh, anti-discrimination I, I, I law? I don't know. I, don't I couldn't know. tell you, but I mean. I'm you, would, you would hope it would. Apparently not because otherwise, you know. Blatantly advertise it like that. Well, you'd think they'd be across the law. Anyone in human resources would need to be across that sort of law. So You would think so. But uh, there you go. Anyway, final word on this. Uh, as part of all these sort of things where Christian Porter was being interviewed <laughs> on this, uh, he said, asked about his religious beliefs, Christian Porter, our Attorney General, our leading lawmaker. Oh, that's right. He said, said something really funny. He was not a regular churchgoer, but he did believe in God, quote, it's very dangerous not to, end quote. Wasn't that a bizarre thing to say? It was bizarre. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know whether or not And he didn't elaborate. No, did he? he didn't elaborate, but I don't know. It says one or two it's things. A, it's very dangerous not to. It's it's one or two things. Yeah. He, either, he, either, he either believes that there could be a magic sky fairy up there that's going to pass judgment on him mm. or that it's dangerous not to believe in God in the modern Liberal Party. Yes, dangerous <laughs> for your job prospects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's but probably more to the point. Yeah, I, I, It's I, not Pascal's wager, is it? Well, I think he needs to be introduced to it. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Dear listener, if you've listened to all uh, 230 episodes of this podcast, going back to the early ones, you would know that we spent a considerable amount of time on submarines. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Because it was clear from the get-go that our submarine purchasing decision was one of the most flawed flawed decisions in the history of the federal parliament. Mm-hmm. And a very ex- one of the most expensive flawed decisions mm. in the history of federal parliament. And it was bad enough at the time when the 12 submarines were going to cost $50 billion, which was an average of $4.16 billion per submarine. Mm-hmm. That's the workout trick. See, I had it in the top of my head. Already. We said it that often, but yeah. yeah. Now um, they've come out and they've said, uh, "Oh, there's a revised figure. Um, it's now eighty billion dollars mm. and climbing." Well, they said that that could blow out as well, and we could have had submarines from Japan for less than a billion each. Yeah. And my understanding was the Japanese were prepared to build them here too, weren't they? I don't know. Yeah. But they would have done a good job. You know, the Japanese build stuff very, very well. Absolutely. And efficiently, on time, mm. you know. Instead. We should have bought the Jap subs. You were right, Trevor. <laughs> Instead, we've gone and bought these bloody Sorry. French submarines that were designed to have a nuclear propulsion system where we said, no, we can't have nukes. No. We've got to have, they've yeah. got to be diesel. That's yeah. right. So they have to so, modify so, the original so, design so really to run with submarines. To run with a, a, a power system they weren't designed for. Indeed. How's that going to work? don't know. It's just, it's not, Sounds going, like an it's engineering not going to work. nightmare, doesn't it? Indeed. And it's completely the wrong sort of submarine because you only need a large submarine if you intend to carry missiles and you're, or you're going to be venturing into the South China Sea and attacking somebody. Well, if you're actually defending your territory against attack, then you need a small, quiet submarine yeah. that can sit 
quietly and wait, and wait for the yeah. attackers. Yeah. And that's what we should have been getting rather Probably. than these um, diesel things. Yeah. It'll be way too slow uh, it, to travel the wide open seas over near China. And well, if they convert breathe. them to nuclear, they're going to be too noisy because nuclear mm. submarines have to have coolant cool running all the time. Running, yeah. and they can't sit quietly. It's mm. just a terrible decision. Mm. So, And then just maintaining these things is going to cost uh, $145 billion as well That's right. over X number of years. <laughs> the total amount, yeah. $225 billion, it's just a complete nightmare. Yeah. And we could have integrated our, our military with the Japanese you know, mm. more seamlessly. And the Japanese would be very good allies for us, mm. I would argue. Mm. Well, they would we, be very good allies because the Yanks are actually abandoning us. Yeah. We could have integrated with the Chinese. They would have been great allies as well. Oh, no? yeah. So, right. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, there's been another coup in Latin America. Bolivia this Bolivia time. Bolivia this time. Indeed. Are people up in arms in Australia? Is anybody commentating on the, on the terrible sort of just overthrow of a legitimate government? No. No. Go ahead. Even the Just Guardian has let it pass, yep. pretty much. Terrible. So they have. So, you know, where is the left-wing media? Because nobody has stopped and said, hang on a minute, this was a perfectly legitimate socialist government, hmm. duly elected, Although they've they just were, been ousted. But there were riots prior hmm. to the ousting. It didn't just happen spontaneously. There was a lot of civil unrest leading up to Then that. wait yeah, for an election and but then... But there's been six months of civil unrest in yeah. the streets of Hong Kong yeah. and the Chinese government still has not responded. Mm. Now they have, you know, the police force has ratcheted it up, mm. but they have mm. remained relatively well constrained. And, and if riots all you need for a change of government, then every opposition can just organise riots and bingo, let's have it, you know, we justify a change mm. of government. So... Mm. Right. Uh, speaking of Japanese, a Japanese department store is reconsidering a plan for employees to wear badges when they're menstruating. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was something that the Batuta advocate was just running to get a joke out of. I didn't realise it was real. Mm. So <laughs> the, the department store in Osaka had hoped to encourage bonding by having menstruating staff wear a badge featuring an existing manga character named... Sayiri Chan, loosely translated. Sayiri Chan. Sayiri. Sayiri means Sayiri. Period. Yes. Miss Period. Yeah. Quote, we received many complaints from the public, some of them concerned harassment, and that was definitely not our intention. But it was voluntary. You know, it wasn't to be mandated or anything. Yes. So it was meant to be, I'm having my period. Yeah, it was to encourage a bit of empathy, wasn't it? Yes. Among the staff. Yes. Good intentions. I think it had started with good intentions. Yeah. It was just perhaps unnecessary. I don't think. I mean, I my, just my impression is most women don't necessarily want I, to advertise. I couldn't imagine any women wanting to <laughs> wear a badge no. saying I'm menstruating no, you at the moment. So. Uh, pay due consideration. I can't imagine anybody. Would this be... is the whole point. I just think that the Japanese just didn't understand that that sort of thing is deeply personal. And that you wouldn't want to advertise it. I don't know that the Japanese as a nation uh, wouldn't understand, but perhaps the the executive staff of that particular department store didn't understand or mm. perhaps thought they were doing the sort of, you know, the new wave correct thing. You know what I mean? Maybe they were 
trying to be more Woke. sensitive, more right. human. Is yeah, you know what I mean. But they went off on a bit of a tangent. Matthew in the chat room says, "Could I volunteer to wear a badge when I miss my morning coffee?" <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we need a range yeah, of I don't badges. Think you should ever miss your morning yes. coffee, mate. Yeah, you know what you're doing. But yeah. anyway. I was thinking because I used, to, as you know, I used to, uh, work, I used to work in Osaka, mm. and Daimaru Department Store. I'm aware of it. It wasn't the one I used to visit more regularly, but I'm sure I've been there mm -hmm. for what it's worth. There you go. But Japanese department stores are terrific. You know, they've got these huge um, food halls, usually mm. in the in the basement floor, where you can go shopping for wonderful Japanese delicacies, and not only Japanese. I used to buy imported French camembert cheese there, Jamaican it coffee. Must have cost a bomb. Yeah, it wasn't cheap, but you know, I like to live the high life, as you know. <laughs> but I used to seriously, I used to okay, buy boomer. Used to buy French camembert cheese, which was melt in your mouth, delicious. Jamaican coffee, but you know, yep. and and they have really, really a nice selection of fine foods in these um, Japanese department stores. They're great, yep. love them. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, it's going to be hot here. Are you going to be hot? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Fix the air Turn that up a bit. Okay. Um, also, uh, speaking of Asia, yes, uh, China, China. Wow. is bringing in mandatory facial recognition yeah. for mobile phone users. Is that just if you? Yeah, it started on Sunday, Scott. It yeah. has started. So they're, they're doing it. My brother, who lives in Beijing, he's got to get his facial recognition. Does he if he wants to keep a everybody Chinese, keep a Chinese mobile? Well, phone. when they purchase, is it a SIM card? I don't think it's when they purchase an actual. Mobile phone handset. Registering new SIM cards. That's it. Must submit to a facial recognition scan. Yes. yes. Particularly it's for your brother. Quite sinister, isn't it? Because from the Chinese point of view, Westerners all look the same. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's hope it helps them to yep. recognise him mm. when he's standing in a group of Westerners. Yes. Well, you know, one would think that uh, he wouldn't want to be recognised anyway. We'll have to wait and see. Who wants to be recognised and tracked everywhere they go by the government? Indeed. A worrying development. Very worrying. <laughs> but not surprising. And yet... Just the way the world's going, isn't it? It's that, it's that Blade Runner sort of <laughs> exactly. dystopian and, future. And it's not it, going it, to be limited to so, the Chinese, no, is it? No, it's already... This is going to be everywhere, you know, eventually. Yeah. You know, you had that thing that uh, Trevor disagreed with, that um, Four Corners program that we all watched. Yes, Red Flag or whatever Yeah, Red Flag that mm. Trevor disagreed with. Yeah. But... You know, they had there that there was a university bloke who worked on facial recognition, then went back to China and sold his wares and made a yeah, monster yeah. out of a government out of a company mm -hmm. that the government's now come in and acquired fifty percent of. Mm. So you've now got the Chinese Communist Party only fifteen percent of this company mm. that's going to now export this technology around the globe to every uh, police force on authoritarian the planet. tyranny on the planet. Absolutely. Probably. The mm. Russians will go next. Yeah, they mm. yeah. Hey, I should mention we got a voicemail, mess a voicemail message. Oh, I'll, I'll play that oh, now. Can we hear it? Yeah, here we go. What am I doing? Well, I'm going to listen to the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. Yes, I don't know why I listen to sometimes, but. <laughs> I paid a dollar, so I'm going to get my dollar's worth. Fair enough. Tell you whatever it is. It's yeah. okay. I'll just keep the strike option up our sleeves. There's... Strike? Bloody communist hippies. <laughs> I'm going to get my dollar's worth no matter what. 
Let's see what this strike episode is all about. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. You know, fist, glove, twelfth man. This is some of the most intelligent comments you have made all year. <laughs> Thanks very much, Landon. Thanks, Landon. <laughs> We've had a bit of feedback recently, and that was some of the more gentle feedback. Yeah, well, that some we've of had. the more gentle we'll, feedback. We'll get on to our feedback a bit later, perhaps, <laughs> depending on how we go. But uh, that was Landon. Yeah. <laughs> um, back to China. So, a Chinese company, mostly or partly owned by the Chinese government, has bought one of our dairy producers. Right. In uh, Tasmania, is it? Well, Tasmania? I'm not sure where they were. Um, but there was a bit of an uproar about them buying the dairy business. Do you have an issue with the Chinese company buying? Not necessarily. Right. On the face of it. Um, no. Good. Okay. No, Do you? I, I don't Some either. people were having a problem with it. But yeah. as this article points out, it was previously owned by the Japanese. Mm. And ultimately, if it's on our soil, kind of, if we have... If it really comes down to it and we have a major problem, I mean, it's here. So We can what, always bar the export yeah. of food products because yeah, that's yeah. exactly what Julia Gillard's government did when they, when they mm. banned the export of live animals to Indonesia. Mm. So if we ever end up desperately short of milk here but the Chinese are bathing in it, we can always just ban the export of milk. Mm. True. Well, obviously the reason they bought it is because there's such a huge demand for our milk in China and they want to capitalise on that. Mm. Yeah. And the Japanese who did own it um, apparently had to just keep dropping the price because nobody else wanted to buy it. So, oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that odd? Yeah. Well, th- there was some blowback on this. Now, it was another podcast I was listening to a couple of weeks ago and they were saying that um, the Chinese were being very um, tricky about their access, the access of the of the milk to the Chinese market. And that's why the Japanese ah, kept so the them. Japanese price went down because the, the the Chinese had distorted the market. And well, the Chinese, is that what you're saying? yeah, the Chinese yeah. were saying that you couldn't get access to the Chinese market. They were erecting market. barriers right. okay. because it was owned by a Japanese company. Okay, exactly. and then that that lowered the price and... And then okay. led to the Chinese coming in and buying mm, it. That would make sense. A, well, at a lower price. That would make sense. That's, yeah... Well, there that's we kind of clever right. business. It's capitalism as, as it is as capitalism. worst. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, China is a unrestrained capitalist economy. Mm. It's, you know, everything's for sale, including government decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wheatwatcher says it's seemingly an issue when it's the Chinese. The reality is that Canada is a bigger land buyer in recent years. Mm. But Wheatwatcher, we did an article not so long ago that said the Bahamas. I well, believe yeah, was that was one the of biggest the... buyer of land in recent times. Not the Bahamas uh, per Bermuda? se, but uh, people, com- well, companies, yeah, set companies up in, set up because in, they yes. get a tax break yes. in those countries. Yes, yeah, but, but so companies know, registered in the Bahamas bought more yeah. land than any other uh, nationality. But it's a bit like ships registered in yes. Liberia, isn't it? Yeah, and why we would allow that to happen? Oh, it's a disgrace. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid. Bahamas that, says Wheat Watcher. Yep. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid that um, the Yanks were the biggest landholders of mm. Australia. Mm. Yeah. 
They might still be, but the, yeah. the hummers might be catching up. Yeah. Well, the, Bahamas, the Yanks and the Palms. Because you've only got to – well, if it's based on area, you know, if you control some of those really huge stations. Yeah, exactly. You, you've, you've got massive – Well, Jenna Reinhardt owns, currently owns the biggest – Cattle station in Australia, well, I believe. Well, she owns a 50%. No. That's right. Portion. And the other 50% is Chinese, isn't it? My understanding is it might be Chinese, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Time to thank the patrons. Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayne, Oyame, uh, the beneficiary, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Palais, Maddock, Man, Dominic, Liam, Dave, uh, Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Peter, Captain Doomsday, Aidan, Wheat Watcher, Andy Murray, Melinda, uh, Adam, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Will, Glenn, Craig, Matthew, Alexander, Paul, Tom, Tero, Camille, Kim, Donnie, Darko, Clinton, Gavin, John and new patron Tony. Good on you, Tony, for uh, coming aboard. Also, the non-patrons, Dean, Ken, Was, the beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, Mattman, David, Beverly and Anne, friend of the show, and also just finally, new uh, sort of patron supporter sideways, Damien from Redline Digital. I was having a problem with our website and he uh, helped me and didn't charge and I said, congratulations, you're now a patron. So, well, <laughs> well dear done, listener, David. if you have a website, particularly using WordPress and you need help, Damien from Redline Digital, and that means that Sean doesn't have to help me out all the time as well. So, so we're spreading that. Um, away you go, Scott. And the beer sponsors was Wayno, Landon Hardbottom, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Caitlin, Zach, Captain Doomsday, friend of the show, Anne, Tony Wall, Mr. Anderson, and new beer sponsor, Glenn Bell. And tonight we are drinking a 150 Lashes, and it could be either from Bronwyn or Glenn, I couldn't tell you. It came out of the carton. I've got two cartons on the lounge room floor at home. Thanks right. to both of them. And, Thanks to both of them. And when you arrived, you promptly dropped a bottle I dropped straight one, onto yes. my tile floor. <laughs> it didn't break. It didn't break. It's amazing. Yeah. Is that a sign from God? It could, it could, could be. be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Wheat Watcher God says, wants us to keep drinking. Yeah. Wheat Watcher says UK interests hold the largest amount of Australian land at 10 million hectares. UK really? interests. Mm. Thank you, Wheat Watcher. Historically, they, they were for mm. a long time. Mm. Apparently still are. Right. Well, they apparently haven't sold any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see. We've got a link to an article by Ken Malik. I haven't spoken about him much recently. Mm. This is an interesting article where we haven't spoken about immigration much lately. Hasn't really been in the news, mm. and he was basically describing how Europe has basically set up countries from Libya to Sudan and from Niger to Turkey as its new sort of frontier, and they're paying those countries to basically create a barrier and stop mm. people getting across to Europe, mm. and sort of the new form of imperialism. That uh, so yeah, so when people talk. Well, if people do talk about um, Europeans' willingness to accept refugees, you'd have to counter that by saying, well, actually, they're spending a lot of money with some fairly dodgy characters who are prepared to conduct some terrible practices in order to keep people out. So mm. that was an article from Ken and Malik, if you're interested in that topic. But yeah, immigration's really... Like when we started, Scott, three or four years ago, it was a big topic... I guess probably there were more boat people or whatever at that time and terrorist that, attacks with the exactly, Lint Cafe, yeah. but it's really gone off the boil lately. It has gone off the I boil. I don't though. think it's going to go away in the long term. No, uh, it's not going to go away. It's I probably mean, just been displaced in the immediate sort of, you know, front of mind 
of most people because there are other things going on at the moment. Well, me and the better half are watching years and years on SBS and that's really very interesting. Years and years. Years and years. I don't know. Okay, it's a thing that's set, uh, it's gone forward in 20 years from now oh. and it's um, looking at Britain and there's a populist Prime Minister who has just been elected and she's... Oh, it's a fictional drama. Oh, it's a fictional it? drama, yeah. Oh, I see. Not anyway, a documentary. She, no, not a documentary because it's set in 20 years' time. Mm. Anyway. There you go. <laughs> um, she's talking about um, the concentration camp being a British invention during the Boer War, which it was, mm -hmm. and she said that, you know, no one, ever, no one ever remembers that because it worked and she's setting up concentration camps in Britain to house all the immigrants mm. until they die and that sort of stuff. Anyway, it mm. was really quite interesting because it's um, – she said in a speech, she said it's not going to stop. We're always going to have movements of immigrants and that mm. sort of thing. And I thought to myself, gee, she's probably right. Oh, mm. undoubtedly in the future there will be lots more mass migration. Absolutely. And if Australia ever goes to hell in a handbasket, I'll be one of those that wants to out, mm. you know, because – where would you go? I don't know. I'd just get out. New, New Zealand. Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then New Zealand would have to close the would have to close the border to Australians. Absolutely, mm. because they couldn't or send take, us back. They mm. couldn't take. We don't want your mm. convict scum over here. They mm. they couldn't take twenty million people over there. Mm. You know, which is be what who would be wanting to leave? I don't know well, what well, what the population distribution in in New Zealand is because it's only four and a half five million people altogether. Apparently, and Queensland most is of them, bigger. Most of them would live in the you know several main cities just like here, wouldn't they? they would, you know, Auckland, yeah, Auckland, Wellington, Wellington, and Christchurch. Christchurch yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's a long way off. It's hopefully. a long way off. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It depends. I hear it's a pretty nice place. Mm. It's a very nice. So you place. might be very comfortable there. Absolutely, but. I could just imagine, I could foresee a time that they would actually close the border. Mm. Right. Look, I was contemplating, we got some feedback and I was contemplating going through it, but uh, <laughs> it's going to take a while. And I think at this point we should, we should stop. And it and might make you sound like a, just a bitter old guy. Yeah, it might. So I'll probably leave that. And, I think and, you're yeah. justified to be bitter. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll come to that later. So yeah. we'll make this Some one a time. slightly shorter one, not our usual hour and a half. Mrs. Fist will be happy. So, okay. Yeah. So, um, Man and Hardbottom won't be happy. Yeah, oh, well. No. Will he get least, his money's at worth? At least we weren't on strike. So. <laughs> Right, oh dear Thanks, listener. Thanks, Landon, for uh, that uh, yes. vote of confidence. Yes. Send us some love if you enjoyed the podcast. Send us some feedback. That would be nice. And send us some articles if you've got any interesting ones or topics that you want us to cover that we haven't covered. Or um, any libertarian publications you want to yes. get stuck into. <laughs> when you're reading stuff out there, check who it is, what's their agenda. Everyone has an agenda of Just some sort. it's from the Chinese Communist so, Party, you want to be very, very, very suspicious of anything they produce this is the beauty of this podcast if we can just pat ourselves on the back for one moment <laughs> is that um we can say whatever we like and we're unaffected because this isn't our job we're not relying on the income we don't have a boss who's going to potentially sack us mm. and we don't have uh, a clientele that we have to keep satisfied mm. like somebody yeah. who's relying on this sort of thing for a living would be thinking, oh, if I really uh, say things about dark emu, I might lose 20% of my audience and oh, you know, mm. I'll have trouble paying the mortgage. Yeah. So it is one of the advantages of, of an independent podcast 
creates that, a lot of freedom. That yes. So while we struggle to find the and time, us libertarians, we love our freedom. Indeed. So <laughs> that is a unique aspect. So there we go. Mm. All right. Uh, good night. Talk to you next time. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. See you guys. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less but in any event you can subscribe there if you don't like the idea of a regular subscription the website has a link to a paypal donation so you could just do a one-off donation every now and again so there you go it'd be good to uh spread the word get a few more listeners and that way look if we ended up getting more listeners and more money we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes provide some more content so it's up to you if you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.